Good morning, my Patriot friends. Welcome to My Patriot Brain, the show that unleashes all that freedom and liberty locked away in my synapses. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Mather. Today is Thursday, November 30th, 2023. Uh, Thank you very much for the kind words about episode 82, the last episode we had. Uh, I had a number of comments saying it was one of the best I've done. I actually thought it wasn't very good, uh, at least in my mind, uh, when I got done with it. Uh, I have kind of a perfectionist mentality, so um, I felt like it wasn't up to my standards. Um, I put a lot of work into it. I just didn't wasn't sure about the results or how that would be received. So uh, I appreciate the feedback because it allows me to adjust and think through some things that maybe I thought um, you know weren't uh, going to land well with the audience that did. So anyway, thank you very much for that wonderful feedback. Um, I'm coming to you from behind the MPS Behavioral Science Analytics microphone. Thank you for downloading this episode. My Patriot Brain is recorded live and published twice a week every Monday and Thursday morning on Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Apple Podcasts. Today's Thursday morning when I'm recording, so uh, I'm fitting with that schedule, right, every Monday and Thursday morning. I don't always get it right on time, but most of the time I do. Uh, The show is available on Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible, in addition to the other ones I mentioned. Uh, You can follow My Patriot Brain on Spotify, uh, share the show with your friends, your loved ones, your family members, your enemies, and anyone else you can think of who needs inside My Patriot Brain. Uh, I've got a website. Website's free. Uh, it's pretty cool. Check it out. It's theconservativesocialpsychologist.com. Everything on there is free. Uh, I've got links to all of my academic articles on there. I've got links to uh, the blog that was um, unique to that website. I've got links to my Psychology Today column that I used to write. Uh, I've got links to uh, my YouTube channel. Uh, I've got links to all sorts of good stuff on there. All of it's free. Uh, the only thing that would cost, I guess, any money would be the book. Uh, and so you can also find a link to my books there. Um, most of them aren't in print anymore, but the, the one that's most recent is uh, Implicit Biases in the Unconscious, Liberal Biases, Racial Prejudice, and Politics. Uh, that's available exclusively at barnesandnoble.com. Uh, you can follow me on my social medias. Uh, you can follow me on Locals. Uh, go to locals.com, um, find my Patriot Brain community. Uh, you can you can find, look at for me on Truth Social, uh, Donald Trump's platform. Uh, Tr- Truth Social, I am at CS Psych OK on Truth Social. Uh, I am also at CS Psych OK on Locals. And if you go to Rumble, you can check out my, I post some things on there every now and then some videos. Uh, I'm the conservative social psychologist on Rumble. Uh, on the Locals page, I post previews to my episodes. So like last night, I posted a preview of what's coming today on this episode. Uh, I do that on my Locals page. On Truth Social is where I post links to um, a lot of the articles that I talk about on here. Uh, you don't have to pay anything for access to Truth Social. You don't even have to make an account. Uh, you can get there to my account from going to my website and just clicking on the Truth Social link, and that'll take you there. And you can scroll through and, and find articles that I think are interesting. Um, sometimes comments I post, things like that. Uh, and then, of course, the locals, I have other content on there, too. Uh, okay, so college football news, AP top five rankings. Georgia is ranked number one, followed by Michigan, Washington, Florida State, and Oregon. Uh, this coming week is really conference championship week, and so uh, the conference championship games uh, are number 18, Oklahoma State University is playing for the Big 12 championship uh, against number seven, Texas, uh, 11 a.m. Central Time on ABC. Texas is a... 15 and a half point favorite. Uh, number one ranked Georgia is playing number eight Alabama at three o'clock on CBS. They're playing for the SEC title. Uh, Georgia is a five and a half point favorite. Uh, Southern Methodist University, SMU, uh, is playing against Tulane. Uh, I don't remember what conference that one is. Uh, 3 p.m. on ABC, uh, Tulane is a three and a half point favorite. Uh, 
Um, number two, Michigan is playing num- number 16, Iowa, uh, 7 p.m. on Fox. All of these are central time because that's where I live. Um, Michigan is a 21 and a half point favorite for the Big Ten Championship. Uh, number 14, Louisville is playing versus uh, number four, Florida State, uh, 7 p.m. ABC. They're playing for the ACC title. Uh, Florida State is a two and a half point favorite. Uh, another note to make in college football uh, news, I, I heard this on the radio yesterday, um, but this year, uh, across all Division I football schools, 55.7% of all starting quarterbacks were transfers, which gives you uh, a pretty big insight into how the NIL and the transfer portal and, and all of those things are uh, churning over rosters very rapidly. 55.7% of all starting quarterbacks uh, in Division I football were transfers. Uh, okay, this past weekend, uh, Dallas Cowboys uh, played on Thanksgiving. Uh, they're going to play another Thursday night game tonight. Uh, against the Seattle Seahawks. So the Seahawks play in Dallas. Uh, Dallas is, has an 8-3 and three record. They're doing pretty well this year. Uh, 7.15 p.m. Central Time tonight on Prime Video, which is, the I believe, the Amazon um, channel that everybody has to play a game on once a year or, something, or once a year or something like that. Uh, Dallas is a nine-point favorite. I remember last year um, panicking when I found out that Thursday Night Football was on Prime Video channel or whatever and then saying, oh, well, we have that. I don't know how we have that because we have a lot of different things, but we have that, so... I'll be able to watch that tonight. Uh, watching Newsmax this morning, um, which <laughs> if you followed this podcast all year, you know that Newsmax, I started with Newsmax, then Newsmax went away, and then Newsmax came back. Uh, but I get to watch Newsmax all the time now. But it did move uh, channels on AT&T Uverse. Uh, it's moved back to, um, it's, it's now with the other channels. I, I guess the other major news channels, like what you'd call it that. Right, it's it's close to MSNBC and CNBC and Fox News and the other cable news ones in the in the slot that I guess is legitimizing Newsmax in the world of AT and T Uverse. Uh, I don't know that the other ones should be considered. Um, like you know, that's where the that's where the news channels are. Uh, but anyway, so that's a step up for Newsmax, but it also means I have to try to remember a different number when I type it in. Uh, okay, so but Newsmax, there are two stories that were interesting this morning that I thought. One was the fact that a 94 year old vet in New York City was kicked out of his senior living um, so that they could put an illegal immigrant in his spot. Uh, doesn't seem right. Uh, yeah, but he says he's, he's paying taxes. I haven't seen his tax return, so I don't know. Um, but the 94-year-old vet says that he's, he's a taxpayer, and I'm sure he was all of his life. Um, anyway, um, that's what's going on in New York. Uh, Department of Justice also requested a warrant list. So that doesn't mean they got it. They requested... Uh, a warrant for a list of anyone who interacted with Donald Trump's Twitter account from October 20th to January 2021. Uh, that includes anybody who liked any of the posts. Um, that would be a pretty dangerous precedent. Um, having spent a lot of time providing expert witness testimony and things like that in, in the legal system, um, I know that how I would handle that um, would be to say, like, hey, you're welcome to go to those pages and look at everything there or give them the data in a way that's, you know, that fulfills the warrant, but maybe isn't the most accessible for them to get. So, you know, here's, a, here's a, all the information. Um, happy, happy hunting. You can search through there. We're not going to organize it for you or make it easy for you. Anyway, still terrible precedent to set um, as far as social media goes. It may make you think twice about all your social media accounts. Maybe I need to get off of locals and truth social um, before they come after me there. Um, anyway. But again, that's not, that's not about me. Uh, that's about you and everybody else who has a Twitter account uh, that may have interacted with Trump, uh, Donald Trump's uh, Twitter account from October 2020 to January 2021. 
in any form, like I said, including likes. Uh, okay, so George Santos is kind of in the headlines. So I posted an article on my Truth Social. It looks like Representative George Santos could be could soon be expelled from Congress by Rebecca Downs, November 28, 2023, in town hall. Um, and so uh, George Santos, I was trying to explain this to my family this morning when, they were, when he was doing his press conference. Uh, I was trying to explain, like, what he did. And I said, you know, he, I, I said he lied about a number of things, and I said, you know, some specifics that he had lied about. Um, early on that drew attention to him and then misusing campaign funds and all kinds of stuff. And I said, but I said, at this point, I, you, I don't, you don't know he's lied so much. You don't know which lies are, are lies or which ones are true. Like we have no idea what the truth is. Uh, so he went out to this morning and, and essentially said, you know, if they expel me, then I'm going to name names and I'm going to, you know, give all the dirty secrets um, from Congress and, and all the Congress people to the, to everybody else. I don't know that anybody would believe him at that point anyway. Um, it's, it's a tricky spot to be in. Uh, I don't know if the, if the governor appoints. So I haven't been following the Santos case that much, but uh, I don't know if, if he gets expelled, which no one else has been expelled with anything less than having committed a crime. Uh, and there's a whole list of Democrats that have committed um, pretty substantial crimes that are still sitting in their seats. Uh, they always do a good job of using um, Republican morals against Republicans, but not Democrats because they don't have morals, so it doesn't matter. Um, but uh, Santos uh, was, you know, what's he, what's he going to do? Uh, he probably didn't have a lot of secrets because he was uncovered as somebody that was a kind of a crazy liar um, immediately when he got elected into office. So I doubt that he got to hang out with a lot of people and, and get, get a lot of dirt. He was, he was never accepted into Congress, so I don't think that he was um, getting good dirt on people necessarily. Um, you know, who knows though, maybe he'll come out, maybe this is the thing, right? Maybe this is the thing that he'll come out and uh, give all the dirt on a lot of people. And, and maybe, maybe he's the drain plug for the swamp, right? Like maybe he's the, uh, the filthy, disgusting drain plug that you pull and it actually drains the swamp. Finally, it, Trump couldn't do it. And uh, no one else has been able to drain the swamp. And then it took George Santos to, to do that. Uh, but another story I would tell. So when I was when I was growing up, uh, there was a family member that I didn't know all that well, but um, he he had kind of married into the family, and he uh, his he said his son worked for Tombstone Pizza, so he always bought Tombstone Pizza. So um, whenever I was in college, I'm like, I go get my frozen pizza. I'm like, oh, I got buy Tombstone Pizza. I'm kind of supporting the family. Hey, that's kind of cool. And so, but anyway, it turns out later on that that family member was like a really really you know horrible, disgusting person. Uh, and then his son was even worse than him. And so I, but I'd spent all these years buying tombstone pizza for that, even though that was all in my own head, morally, like doing the thing that I'm doing. So with George Santos, what I'm saying is be careful who you cast your blind loyalty for. Uh, and Republicans tend to be fiercely loyal to a lot of things. Uh, and, you know, that maybe that maybe, you know, maybe your loyalty in George Santos is not necessarily a good thing. But I don't know. I don't have any idea what the truth is. It's like when, uh, you know, when you're, when you're a counselor and you're working with somebody who lies all the time, like you, it's hard to figure out where to work because you don't know, uh, you know, what's the truth and what's not. Okay. So I always talk about country music and TV and stuff like that. So uh, just like to remind you that, you know, prior to the last few years, when it seems like the whole world started uh, with everything in the world, um, there were some songs that had, uh, you know, some, some things that might not be considered um, 
okay nowadays discussed in ways that they they um, some of it would have been very provocative at the time um, but right so elton john's yellow brick road i've mentioned that before if you haven't ever paid attention to the words or listened to that uh, i urge you to go back and pay attention to that um, and so that that one's about a, a, a homosexual male that goes to um, essentially hollywood um, and how that kind of plays out uh, lola right you've got the song lola um with the transvestite in there. And then you've got um, Alan Jackson's song. I had forgotten that um, the song Where I Come From kind of hints at that in one of the verses too. So uh, there have been these cultural references that have been placed in things. Um, and, I, and I haven't heard uh, Hollywood and, and whatever. I don't know what, what the record industry is, the music industry. I haven't heard any of those celebrities that always like to come out spoken for things go after any of those either. I was watching, okay, so I always talk about TV, right? Like Hunter. The, ep- the show, TV show Hunter. Um, and so a 1989 episode of Hunter, I was watching the other night, uh, and they used the term coyote in t- in, as far as the people um, bringing illegal immigrants over. Uh, and remember, that was just not that long ago when Donald Trump used the word. Uh, the Democrats went crazy over it because they weren't familiar with the term and, and tried to make him look like an idiot for using the, the word coyote. Um, but that's a term that's been well-known in the immigration world for a long time. That was 1989. It was, you know, over five or six years ago, right? 1989, whenever that was. Uh, okay, so I, I think I mentioned the the coyote in our neighborhood that was hunting geese. I can't remember if I mentioned this or not, um, but if in case you didn't listen to my other episodes and I talked about it, I saw in the neighborhood a coyote that he would hide in a culvert um, and geese would land in the, in the grass and he'd, he could run out and get one, probably bring it back and, and eat it inside the culvert. Um, that's like an incredible strategy. I know we talked about in the intelligence of cats the other day, but for a coyote to do that uh, is pretty cool. Like that's, you know, he probably gets reinforced for, hey, if I hide out here, they don't see me. I just run out, grab one, and then I've got a feast. He was a very well-fed coyote too. Uh, but I had forgotten about the fact that my wife and I were at the zoo one time, and we heard this commotion. We saw these geese land in the lion exhibit. You can see where I'm going with this. And we heard this just crazy commotion with the geese, and they all fly up again. And we looked over and we see this lion running across with, running across with a goose. Uh, it was really incredible. Like it, this massive goose with this massive lion. And, you know, in the zoo, you don't get to see lions move that often. Usually they're just laying there staring and looking around, laying on a rock, whatever. Or they get up and they walk all slow. He was running. I've, it's so majestic to see a lion running, especially when he's got a goose in his mouth. Um, it was incredible. Male, male lion running with a goose in his mouth um, was Quite a thing to see first thing in the morning. They had just opened up at that time. Uh, we don't get back to the zoo much now, though, because they're super woke and they do all kinds of weird woke things. And so, again, uh, you know, COVID caused us to not be able to take our kids a lot of places that we used to be able to take them. Uh, and I'll get, hey, I'm going to get to that with one of uh, uh, Chris from Washington's comments later on down here as far as, actually, this whole episode is really about people not doing the stuff they used to do before COVID and then maybe being able to go back to them. Uh, maybe I should go back to the zoo and give them another chance. I used to go there all the time. Um, we used to go there pretty regularly. Uh, and so maybe, maybe that's something that I'm missing out on uh, that fits with the theme of this episode. Uh, okay, another article uh, that I post on my Truth Social. Uh, Family of First American released by Hamas bought Hunter Biden's art by Matt Vespa, November 27, 2023 in Town Hall. Uh, so the four-year-old girl that was released by Hamas Apparently, she has a relative that um, bought some of Hunter Biden's art. I have not been able to figure out from that story or anything else that I've seen 
how close that relationship is. So that may not have played a factor, you know, been a role or a factor in it at all. Um, but interesting that there is a connection there because I'm, the assumption here is that Hunter Biden's art sucks and that nobody would want to buy it uh, unless they were trying to contribute to, you know, Joe Biden in some way for a payoff or something else they're going to do. That's the implication. I haven't seen anything else that that fits with that necessarily or or, or brings out more on that point. Um, Matt Vespa is a really good writer. He always does his homework. He's very thorough. So um, that's why even without more evidence here, I, I give that a little bit of credence. Uh, anyway, thankful that the four-year-old girl got released uh, either way, um, but an interesting connection. Uh, another article I posted on my Truth Social, uh, Nikki Haley doubles down on her pro-life stance by Sarah Arnold, November 19th, 2023, um, in Town Hall. Uh, again, I posted it on my Truth Social. Uh, so Nikki Haley claims to be pro-life, uh, and she says that if she was governor of South Carolina, she would have she would sign an abortion ban until six weeks. Uh, and so that for those of us that are fully pro-life, um, you know, we, we don't really like to compromise on that issue, right? So six weeks, 12 weeks, just to appease the Democrats uh, is not something we're interested in. Um, I understand if somebody comes from a, um, a different worldview uh, that maybe that those compromise, not making those compromises doesn't make sense. But as a moral, uh, you know, as with abortion being morally wrong, uh, then... We don't like to compromise on that. Uh, but I want to, really what I want to talk about here is not Nikki Haley. I'm not trying to trash Nikki Haley or promote Nikki Haley or anything. Um, what I wanted to point out was the Biden campaign statement about Nikki Haley. So a lot of people think, okay, Nikki Haley is more electable than Donald Trump. Nikki Haley is, you know, she's the electable one. She'll have crossover appeal, blah, blah, blah. Well, but the Biden, here's the Biden campaign statement. Nikki Haley is no moderate. She's an anti-abortion MAGA extremist who wants to rip away women's freedoms just like she did when she was South Carolina governor. So this goes back with what I'm saying. It's further evidence that any non-Trump candidate is going to be vilified the same way. I've talked to people that think that Ron DeSantis is the absolute devil uh, because that's what they say on CNN and CNBC and all those liberal outlets. Everything they read is how he's the devil, just like they were told Ted Cruz was the devil. And then they don't really talk about Ted Cruz that much anymore because he's not a threat to be president. And so they found a scare formula that works, and it has all along, right? Bush was a Nazi, like George W. Bush was a Nazi. Uh, it, this has been the case all along, and I, I've talked about this before. Uh, I remember seeing a, an old Saturday Night Live uh, when Ronald Reagan was running for president in 1980 uh, that had him, and it, and it said the same thing. He was a racist Nazi is what it said he was. Uh, and so they found this formula that's working now, and it works very well in the social media age. So you know, for anybody who's shying away from Donald Trump because they say he's not electable and there's too much baggage, et cetera, they're going to do the same thing to anybody else. So just keep that in mind. And I'm not saying that Trump is the guy. Trump's the guy I plan to vote for, um, unless he's not the candidate, in which case I'll vote for whoever the other candidate is uh, from the Republicans. But um, just keep in mind, they're going to do this. They found something that works. They're vilifying all Republicans anyway, uh, the MAGA extremists, right? And so now they've created this loop where it's not necessarily you know, the Republicans are the MAGA extremists now. So they went from Trump is bad, Republicans are okay, to, or actually, I guess they started off with Republicans are bad, to, oh my gosh, Trump is the worst, to, well, Republicans are the worst because they're like Trump, and now they're able to bounce back and forth and go after anybody else they want uh, that the Republicans put up. That's kind of been their play all along, but it's been successful in the last six, seven years. Uh, so anyway, keep that in mind. If you If you don't fall into the trap necessarily of, not voting for the, 
the front runner who's proving poll-wise that he could win a general election thinking, oh, he's not going to be electable in the general election, and then turn around and vote for somebody else. They're going to do the same thing, too, except they have less name recognition, so they actually get fewer Republican votes. That's what the Democrats want us to do. Okay, so speaking of abortion, uh, I was driving, okay, this sounds terrible when I say it that way, um, let's say speaking of babies. So I was driving home yesterday, uh, it's, you know, rush hour traffic, I'm on an overpass over I-35, um, which is a major interstate, uh, I'm on a busy, busy road, uh, I'm sitting there in traffic at a stoplight over on the overpass, I'm looking down and there's all these cars just flying underneath me, you know, you're waiting for wrecks to happen everywhere. Uh, just wall-to-wall cars in front of me, behind me, and below me on both sides. And the car in front of me is um, has a has a baby, rear-facing baby that's I don't know, maybe like one year old enough to make eye contact with me and and see me. There's a little girl in a car seat, rear-facing, and it's a, it's in a nice it's a nice car, but there's no tinted windows to it. And I hadn't realized how hard it is to find cars without tinted windows nowadays. But it's in a nice nice SUV no tinted windows, and it's, and it's propped where the, the kid can make eye contact with me. So I'm sitting there waiting at the stoplight. I'm like, oh, this is really cool. Like, you know, life is a very precious gift, and I'm getting to see this baby, um, and the baby gets to see me. Because what's the baby going to look at, right, other than the faces that are facing it from behind? Uh, anyway, so it was really cool, and, you know, we were behind each other for several miles, and so I got to keep seeing this baby and making an eye contact. And anyway, it was, it, was a, it was a nice ending to a busy day. Uh, and a good reminder that life is a very precious gift. Okay, so an interesting article I posted on my True Social from November 16th, 2023, Fox Business by Nicholas Lanham. Uh, Rage room owners say growing number of customers are engaging in sex acts, intense makeout sessions, which I guess is how you get babies to sit in the baby uh, in the rear-facing uh, seats anyway. Uh, so, so these rage rooms are spaces where guests can, can spend time in private rooms, smashing plates, smashing TVs, smashing radios, smashing tables, all kinds of stuff, using blunt objects like crowbars, bats, and sledgehammers. Uh, they became very popular after COVID-19, and the business owners are having problems with people having sex in them. Uh, and so here, here's, here's one of the, probably the best parts of the story, and, I, and it's not even meant to be. Um, so they're having problems with people having sex in these rage rooms, so they installed cameras to deter them. Uh, and so there's two things, right? One of them, I guess, could be like, okay, so so you installed cameras so you can watch this, right? Um, but the other one is it's, it's probably not much of a deterrent to people who are having sex in uh, a public place anyway, right? So putting the cameras on there is probably not going to deter people who are doing that anyway. Uh, psychologically, there's a lot to it, right? There's a, a excitation transfer or displaced arousal. So uh, the physical arousal of smashing all those things and getting all hyped up uh, gets transferred to uh, the other person who's in the room because um, a lot of people apparently go there on dates. Um, so you have this displaced arousal. It fits with the, uh, a lot of the research you saw the, the, that we've talked about before, the swinging bridge studies, uh, swinging bridge versus the, the sturdy bridge, uh, some other things. But anyway, so you all have heard about that before. And hopefully all of you are thinking, hey, displaced arousal is probably uh, the reason for that. Uh, people use this for catharsis is what they're doing, right? Catharsis was Freud's idea that uh, you build up all this ener energy and you've got to let it out, right? Um, catharsis has been discredited. Uh, you can find uh, studies that have shown that uh, if you go out and tr try to do something aggressive, you'll end up being more likely to do something aggressive rather than less likely. So it actually doesn't work that way. Um, 
anyway, regardless, you know, most of you didn't know what a rage room was before today. Um, half of you are probably disgusted by it after what I just told you about it. But the other half of you, you're, you're looking up rage room on your phone right now while you're listening to me talk. Uh, okay, so uh, today's main topic, uh, new, I, there's two kind of two articles here. I don't remember which, I guess I posted both of them on my, on my Truth Social. So one of them is new COVID study shows those who complied with restrictions have worse mental health um, by uh, Thomas LaDuke, November 27th, 2023 in Red State. Uh, I posted this on my Truth Social. It's a VIP, so you have to have a subscription to that. I didn't realize that when I posted it. I don't usually post things that require a subscription. Um, it's a good article. I have a subscription, so I didn't, I didn't notice. Um, and so it's a good article. It, it just mentions a little bit about this, uh, this study. So then I followed that and, and went and tracked down the study, which wasn't linked in that article. Uh, so I had to go to the university page of the researcher. Uh, and so it's a, the study was done in Wales, which is kind of cool because I actually have worked. Um, I've been an affiliate faculty, affiliate PhD, affiliate PhD supervisor um, for a university in Wales. So I'm a little bit familiar with how the British um, websites are set up at their universities, research, et cetera. And so the, the article, another one that I posted on my True Social was from the Bangor University page, uh, Mental Health Costs of Lockdown Compliance Still Being Felt, Research Shows. And so here's another description of the study. Um, this is from the official university press release about the study. Uh, 1,700 people in Wales were surveyed. Uh, they cross-checked by surveying 230 friends and family members of the people in the survey. Uh, they followed up every two weeks for 850 of the participants between February and May of 2023, which is very recent, this year. And so what they found was they found that people, comply, people who had complied with COVID restrictions were less likely to return to normal activities. Uh, think about that. We're less likely to return to normal activities. Also, they, they now, now, being this year, uh, experience more stress than people who didn't comply with COVID restrictions. Uh, they experience more anxiety than people who didn't comply with COVID restrictions, and they experience more depression than people who didn't comply with COVID restrictions. Uh, they broke it down by personality, and so they looked at agentic personalities, um, like agency, and so the agentic personalities uh, focus on what affects them. Uh, I would guess describe them based on what I'm seeing, kind of being more selfish, but that's not typically how they're described. But, and then communal personalities focus more on other people. Less selfish, I guess, which again, that's a very crude way to describe this um, because there's more to it than the selfishness. But, uh, and so the agentic personalities were less likely to follow restrictions unless they personally felt at risk. So it had to, if I feel like I'm at risk, then I'm not, then I'll follow the COVID restrictions. But if I feel like I'm not at risk, uh, then I'm not going to follow it for everybody else. Uh, okay, so I'm going to read. Um, kind of a this little bit of a summary, because I think that really, I love the fact that this is in the university's um, words about the study. The researchers, this is, this is a quote, the researchers found that regardless of personality, higher levels of compliance with COVID rules during the pandemic from March to, to September 2020 predicted lower current levels of well-being February to March 2023. In other words, the more people complied with COVID rules during the pandemic, the worse their well-being emerged in the aftermath. That's their words, right? So there's not a spin on it. There's that, that, those were their words. Um, but yeah, what you're seeing here is that the people who complied with COVID restrictions back then are having far more mental health problems now than the ones who didn't. Uh, I couldn't find the actual study. Uh, so it's probably not peer-reviewed yet. Uh, 
So within that, within the university page is one, it says you can contact the author directly to get the study. And I didn't feel like going, going that far on this particular one. Um, so, but really what we're looking at here is we're, we're cutting edge here at My Patriot Brain. Uh, we're so current that I'm pulling research out of other people's heads before they even publish it. Um, but the summary of all of this is that uh, the COVID mandates and restrictions were, were bad for people, right? That's the summary of all of this. Uh, it was bad for people's mental health, and we still have major effects of that that, we're, that a lot of people are dealing with. And I know uh, people in uh, the school psychology community are dealing with students at an incredible rate in the last couple of years, uh, incredible problems that because the students were taken out of circulation in public schools for two years uh, and not socializing and everything was uprooted. So they're, they're fixing a lot of problems there. And the same with counselors. Counselors are dealing with a lot. There's a huge mental health crisis right now uh, that was, we already had a mental health crisis before, but now we've got a major one because of COVID. Uh, and I'll get, I'll get back to that a little bit more in my closing thoughts. All right, to the Patriot Brain Line, we've got lots of stuff. So Jake from East Texas says, in a previous episode, you suggested disfavor toward towards developmental psychology as a discipline. If I understood you correctly, would you elaborate on your biggest criticisms of developmental psychology? Well, Jake from East Texas, I assume you're referring to my comment that was probably along the lines of, um, I never wanted to do developmental psychology because uh, I didn't want to have to stake my career on um, placing bets on which kid's going to take a piss in the corner first. Uh, maybe that made you think that I have a disfavor towards developmental psychology. Uh, I don't know. So I see it, you know, historically, a lot of it has lacked scientific rigor, which is not necessarily a, a good criticism of anything in psychology, because historically, a lot of things have. Think about Erickson's model. Um, it's very unscientific, but it is useful in some ways. Uh, you know, it seems to, it seems like it's been a very female dominated discipline, uh, more so than others for the past several decades, uh, which means it lacks a lot of diverse perspectives. Again, uh, that's probably not a great criticism of any particular area of science because we're, you know, I'm in social psychology and that's open to some of those same criticisms in some ways. Uh, there is some really good research. Uh, you know, you forced me to think more about my flippant comment that I made, uh, and I'm not backing down from the comments, um, but there is some good research in developmental psychology for sure. I took an aging class, uh, and so it was all about aging, and basically, I think 60 up probably, uh, in graduate school at Texas Tech. I'll tell you where it was. It was an awesome class. Uh, I learned so much. I still have the book. I, I learned a lot of things that helped me deal with my grandparents and everybody else I've known as they age. Uh, and so there is there is really good developmental research out there. Um, it's harder to find sometimes, um, but there's some good stuff out there. I, I could be wrong. I'm open to evidence that goes against my perspective. Uh, but um, yeah, I probably thank you for calling me out on that. Uh, all right. And Jake has a lot of other really good questions that I'll I'll have to get to in other episodes. Um, because there's definitely not time to cover all of them today. So thank you, Jake. Uh, Stace Face from OKC uh, says, I talked about truths and, and not knowing what to call them when uh, you, or retruths, and then wondering what you call a retweet now that they're X's. It's X and not Twitter. Uh, and she says, retweets sh should be called extra post. Excellent podcast. I love listening to you on Spotify. Thank you. I've asked all, a lot of you to tell me where you're listening from, um, Spotify, iHeartRadio, et cetera. And so... Uh, good to have you in our Spotify family. Uh, Chris from South Oklahoma City said, great podcast. We, are, we aren't above going back to displaying pygmies in zoos. And while it's not as obvious or, nor quite as barbaric, we still make a mockery of our fellow man with reality TV. It is why I can't stomach that genre of entertainment. It sort of feels anti-human, but maybe I am too empathetic. 
I also hate watching pranks that aren't super wholesome. Uh, I'm gonna. He's got. He's got more of his comment, but I'm gonna jump in here and say a couple things. Uh, and so, one, I've never liked reality TV, and and, I, and that's part of it. Um, it. It's it's something that just doesn't. It feels weird to me. Uh, I don't know. Maybe because I like real life, so I don't necessarily want to watch somebody else's and have, uh, you know, aspirational goals or fulfill any needs by watching somebody else. I don't know. I'm just not. A, I'm not a big fan of, of reality TV. Uh, I also, it's, it's kind of weird that you mentioned that I, I, you said, I also hate watching pranks that aren't super wholesome. Uh, and so I don't know, I'm, I'm not a big, I'm not big on watching pranks either. Uh, I, and I don't know, I'll watch it and go like, I don't know why, why I don't like this. I guess being mean to people. I'm just not a big fan of being mean to people. Um, so I'm, I'm with you, Chris, on the, the prank thing. I don't know how, I, I'm not even condemning other people watching those things either. Like watching a reality show is, is fine. Is fine. Watching uh, pranks on TV stuff is fine. Uh, I used to watch Candid Camera when I was a kid. I don't know if it was on live or I was watching reruns at that point. Um, and that seems interesting. And in my whole life and as a social psychologist is basically, um, you know, creating, pulling pranks on people, right? Um, that's my whole life. Um, but anyway, I don't, I don't like watching pranks that aren't super wholesome as well. All right, so this is still more of Chris from South OKC's comment. He says, regarding the emotionality of, uh, regarding the emotionality and social media, I remember some work by Tormala and Rucker. I want to say that talked about intervalence change being more significant than intravalence change. Um, and before I go on with this, Tormala and Zach Tormala and Derek Rucker, I've actually worked with both of them at one point. They wouldn't remember who I was because I was a grad student. That was 20 years ago. Um, but I worked with um, somebody and we collaborated and co-authored some things together that didn't, didn't end up manifesting into anything. Um, and that's this, they were super young. They were like just right out of grad school at that time, um, which I'd like to think that they're still super young by academic standards too, because that would mean they're just a few years older than me. And that would make me super, super young still, right? Um, but anyway, they're top-notch notch psychologists. They're the two best in my area of attitudes and persuasion uh, and you know, other than Petty and Cassiopo, I can't think of two better um, researchers for you to cite. So I'm excited about that and may have to check out their stuff. But anyway, so you said, Chris from South OKC, you said, I want to uh, talked about intervalence change, valence being positive or negative, uh, intervalence um, being positive to negative, right? Being more significant than intravalence change, being negative to negative or positive to positive. This is to say that changing. From positive to negative, okay, I guess you describe it after this. This is, to be, this is to say that changing from positive to negative or negative to positive is a greater change than from extremely positive to only slightly positive or extremely negative to slightly negative. From a more evolutionary perspective, social media sort of hyper hyperbolizes uh, our social radar by keeping up with more people uh, than we ever really could in the past. And here I'm going to make a note. Like If I'm going to read your thing on air, don't use words like hyperbolize because uh, that's going to throw me off. Uh, social media sort of hyperbolizes our social radar by keeping up with more people than we ever really could in the past. This causes more social comparisons, social uh, evaluations, and more stress on our social holdings. I am curious, however, that, that if you start in a good mood, maybe an effective confirmation bias seeks out only the positive or buffers against the neg negativity pushed in social media feeds. For the negativity in social media feeds, you can see face Facebook publishing their wicked experiments 10 years ago manipulating news to their users without informed consent. Psycholinguistics showed they bas uh, basically over time could ma manipulate their users to be more or less happy uh, the longer people waited to engage their platform. 
that's interesting. So you asked if they start in a good mood, uh, maybe an effective confirmation bias being you're looking for stuff that's the same as what you already feel. Right? So if I'm in a good mood, I'm looking for stuff that's positive in a good mood. Um, I don't know. Uh, in the study, they, they kind of looked at that in the study, and they found that that wasn't what people were doing. It wasn't the confirmation bias part of it that was causing it. However, um, I think what you're alluding to here is the fact that maybe that confirmation bias came from Facebook and not from the person. So maybe the person came in in a good mood, and they look at a few things, and the algorithm picks up on their mood and feeds them more stuff. And so they're not actively looking for, for more good mood stuff or bad mood stuff. Uh, but the Facebook al algorithm provides it to, or whatever, it doesn't have to be Facebook, whatever their social media was. Um, some of them probably, enough of them to get the effect probably would have provided that to them. Anyway, I don't know. Very good, um, highly thought out question. Thank you, uh, Chris. To another Chris from Washington State. Uh, and so Chris basically called me out. So I'm, I love the fact that you all are comfortable enough to, to disagree with me. Uh, so he called me out on me saying, so Jake, you, Jake, you win, you win the point really for my flippant comment about uh, developmental psychology. Uh, my problem is more with the developmental psychologist than the actual developmental psychology. That's what you've unearthed. Uh, Chris from Washington uh, kind of called me out for the uh, national, my national review comment. I think, I don't know what I said specifically because I, I haven't, I didn't script it. I don't know what I said, um, but I said something about um, them being woke, I guess. Um, and he says that they're anti-Trump, not woke. Um, that's not what he said. He said a bunch of stuff um, to, to kind of support his point. Um, I think he, he's right. They're anti-Trump and they're not woke. Um, I said they're neocon and woke. I, I said, I think they're anti, I think I said they're anti-Trump, they're woke, and they're neocon. It's probably what I said because that's what I believe, believed. Uh, and he said that they're anti-Trump, but they're not woke. Uh, and so I said, well, I've, you know, I was citing a National Review article. So I obviously peek at it periodically. Um, I've actually, a listener has given me, had given me um, four, five, six of the last National Review episodes that I had flipped a little bit through, but I hadn't looked through them yet. Uh, they're in a stack by my desk right now. This one right here says August 14th, the new doctor's orders. The next one says September 11th, sea change, rebuilding the Navy of the Pacific. Uh, the next one here says October 2nd, pushing death, the alarming spread of assisted suicide. None of these are woke titles, by the way. Uh, and then the last one here says November 2023, uh, gathering the pieces uh, on the past, present, and future of conservatism. Uh, so I flipped through all those, uh, and I, I flipped through all of those uh, this morning, right before I came on the air. And I, I kind of got a hint last night, or maybe the night before. I flipped through one episode or one issue, uh, and I, I was like, okay. So I found like, I guess what I would consider two two things in, in that issue that were, I could guess, I don't even think you could call them woke, right? They were just maybe, maybe a little bit anti-Trump subtly. I, it was interesting. Uh, as I flipped through that, I was like, okay, so no matter how many of these things I go through, I'm not finding the amount of stuff that I was finding when I stopped looking at the National Review uh, regularly back in 2016 or 2017, probably 2017. Uh, so, but yeah, what I found was I found a really good Really good publication, which was good to see. I've always thought very highly of the National Review. I read it, I read it for years, uh, and it's very very neocon, uh, neoconservative, and so neoconservatives are really, you know, all about free trade and and, and kind of, uh, I don't want to call it globalism because that's not kind of my brand of, of neoconservative, but um, you know, more foreign affairs uh, attuned, I guess you would say. 
it's it's good. I like it. I actually looked through those and found a whole lot of things I want to look at. Uh, and so thanks to Chris from Washington for bringing me back to the National Review. Uh, there are still some, to be fair, there are still some authors I know. I'm not going to say I'm on the air. Um, uh, well, maybe I will. Um, uh, David French is one who I really thought very highly of um, until Trump came along. And then it just, he just got, came unglued and I, I couldn't, and he's, I don't think he's with the National Review anymore. He's with that new one that he started. Um, and so I have, he, he was unreadable after that. Um, and then uh, Jonah Goldberg, same thing. And I've actually seen Jonah Goldberg speak in person and he got up and he talked and I was like, okay, well maybe, maybe he's going to be better than I think. I, I, he was one of my favorites too. And maybe that's why when, when your favorites kind of turn on you, it seems so much more painful. Um, but I haven't read his stuff in the last few years because it became unreadable to me as well. Um, but when he got up and gave his talk, I'm, I, I was optimistic and I thought, okay, this is you know, a room full of Republican Oklahomans and uh, let's see how this goes. And, you know, I probably agreed with 63% of what he said. Uh, and it was that 63% that used to be the focus of what he talked about, but that wasn't the focus of what he talked about. He talked about the other, what does it come to, 37%? I may have to have uh, Chris from South Oklahoma City uh, fact check me on that math um, to help me out with answering Chris from Washington's question. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, 37% of his stuff was just completely uh, ridiculous stuff that I didn't agree with. Anyway, I don't think they're at the National Review anymore. Um, there was a great article that I noticed when I was looking up the definition of neocon. I had written about it in a chapter, which I'm going to pull this out and tell you what it is because I have it sitting right here. You're going to hear a bunch of papers and books. I'm an academic, right? I'm moving a bunch of things. So this was in my article. This is my chapter. I'm sure you read this when you were at the beach last week. Um, maybe not Chris in Washington, but somebody else did. Uh, this, this is my chapter, The Inclusion of Conservatives in Science, Acknowledging Liberal and Conservative Social Cognition to Improve Public Science Attitudes. And I wrote that, it was published in 2021 in the book, The Psychology of Political Behavior in a Time of Change, which is a massive, almost 700-page book. My, my chapter wasn't that long in it. Um, but anyway, so in that chapter, I talked about... Um, in one part of it, I know I had laid out the definitions for you know traditional conservatives, neocons, uh, uh, paleoconservatives, all of those. So I went back to my own words where I had already done my own homework to try to figure out what my definition of neocon was and see if that was any different from what I had been thinking in my mind, and it wasn't. Um, you know, free trade, um, um, you know, globalism, uh, foreign affair policy stuff. Uh, but anyway, so, but in that, you know, I got, I got a lot of that from several different places, but one of them was George Nash's National Review article from, uh, I don't know, I'll have to grab the book again and look at it, see what year that was, 19, uh, 2016. So um, National Review has had some very good articles that I've um, used as foundations for a lot of things I've looked at. Uh, I'm probably going to start reading the magazine again a little bit now that I'm getting access to, uh, to copies of it. Anyway, thank you, Chris from Washington, for bringing me back to my pre-pandemic routine and uh, I guess pre-Trump routine uh, of uh, following the National Review. Uh, again, which fits with the whole theme of this show of people getting back, to, except I wasn't, as, I wasn't great at the COVID regulation thing. I didn't follow those that well, um, which is why I probably don't fall into the categories of having some of those other issues right now. But I, there are still routines I haven't got back into. So what we learned from today is that I'm, I'm going to try to read the National Review more often, uh, and I'm going to try to go to the zoo more often. Uh, that's what I'm going to do. 
All right, voice Patriot Brainline. You can voice message me through Spotify for podcasters. You can engage with the show through Truth Social and Locals, or email me at the email address listed on my website, theconservativesocialpsychologist.com. Independent podcasts thrive with private investments that offset the time and financial costs of equipment, software, writing, producing, editing, and on-air talent. Please consider supporting My Patriot Brain with a small monthly donation. You can use the support button on the Spotify for Podcasters page or the support this podcast URL in the show description on your other listening platforms. Thank you for listening. We're strong together. And now it's time for my closing thoughts. COVID restrictions sent people in all sorts of directions. Some some got back to to normal very fast. Uh, Others still aren't there yet. For those of us who got back to normal fast, it's important for us to recognize the legitimate mental health issues confronting those who didn't get back to normal. It reminds me of Duncan, Oklahoma native Joe Diffie's song, Ships That Don't Come In. I posted it on my locals and Truth Social, so you can listen to the song. That's your homework. So many, so many people trusted the wrong information and are paying a high mental health price for doing so. They don't deserve our ridicule and they don't deserve our mockery. They deserve our empathy, our compassion, and our help. It's, ju- it's just like when I worked in the psychology department of a maximum security prison. We need to be kind to them, lift them up, but whatever you do, don't take their advice. Till I catch you next time, play hard and have fun. Listen to My Patriot Brain on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. Follow me on Truth Social, Locals, and Rumble. Check out my other content at theconservativesocialpsychologist.com.